you can't immediately raise a rent high enough to recover one month worth of rent, no less the average of five months worth of rent losses that it takes to get somebody out and get the unit re-rented. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, are you looking for some financing, maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects? Are you looking to grow your fix and flip business? Well, guess what? Got a solution for you. It's FunNetFlip. You know FunNetFlip. Matt Rodak, the founder of FunNetFlip, has been on the show multiple times. He's a friend of mine, and they love working with the best ever listeners. They provide short-term fix-and-flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, Go to fundthatflip.com. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Sky Mike Sell. How you doing, Sky? Hey, Joe. How are you? Great, Tim. Thanks. Thanks so much I'm- for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. I'm doing well and looking forward to diving in a little bit about Sky. He is the CEO of Nationwide RentSure, which is a rental income protection company. He has invested in eight states over the last 20 years. He's grown a portfolio to 19 single-family homes before transitioning into turnkey property based in Charlotte, North Carolina. With that being said, Sky, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. Well, thanks again. Well, I'll just uh, I'll dive right in and just give you my quick background. So I started actually Joe, on the West Coast. I'm from Portland, Oregon originally. I'm now based in Charlotte, North Carolina. But I started out investing as a 19-year-old. That was a long 20 years ago. <laughs> I was making $6 an hour as a plumber's laborer. Not a real plumber, but just a helper. And I started buying real estate. That year, I'd saved up enough to buy my first piece of real estate. A year later, I bought my first rental property, and I've pretty much grown since then. About 2005, I liquidated my portfolio on the West Coast, knowing something bad was coming. (laughs) The writing was on the wall, and so we got out, and we searched the country over and researched where we were going to go, and ultimately ended up settling on Charlotte. So here we are. So I started a turnkey operation shortly after arriving, and we did we were one of the first few turnkey operations in the country back then. And we were doing what turnkey operations do. We were buying, renovating, leasing, selling. We did quite a few transactions over that 10-year span that we ran that operation. And we decided to transition out of that as 40 or 50 turnkey providers came into the marketplace. And we really shifted our focus in the last three years into rental income protection. We looked hard. And I, I said, you know, all of my clients over the years have bought good properties from me. We renovated them well, but the, a few things always hurt them. And it was never anything that we did, but it was the things that we could not prevent. It was the unexpected maintenance and the unexpected vacancy or unexpected eviction in most cases. And unfortunately, with those cases, that's what really is a cash flow killer. It's a cash flow killer. Me as an investor, most likely you as an investor, and most of our clients. So a few years ago, we shifted our focus into the rental income protection business. And we launched a rental income protection company here in the U.S., uh, the first one of its kind in the U.S. And as of now, as far as I know, the only ones up and running and doing it. I've heard about companies like this, but maybe I just dreamt it or something, or maybe it isn't exactly 
what you're doing. So tell us about the company and the business model. Sure. So basically, rental income protection. I mean, all these years that we've been in real estate, I think all of us are raised as these landlords to just accept this fact that, you know what, evicting a tenant and losing that rent, is it's just a cost of doing business, right? It's a mantra that all of us have said. Well, the, the fact is, is it is not, and it, it does not have to be this accepted belief. In Australia, they've had rental income protection for well over 25 years. Over 80% of the landlords in Australia have rental income protection. In the UK and Germany, it's well over 60%. So in the US, we just haven't had it up to this point. And what rental income protection really is in simplest form is if the tenant defaults, they stop paying rent, then rental income protection generally will step in, pay for the eviction, do the eviction for the landlord, they will go ahead and start paying the landlord the rent that they're no longer getting from the tenant. And in our case, we actually cover malicious damage caused by the tenant in addition to everything else. So all of those things kind of encompass rental income protection. Overseas, there's different iterations of it. But for our program here in the States, that is exactly what we handle. How do you make money? <laughs> That's a great question. There's 48 million rental units in the United States. Uh, there's not a shortage of market for us to have. Our critical mass number is not a huge number for us to get there. The cost is relatively affordable compared to what it is covering. They're going to be hovering, and I'll just cut to the chase, and they're hovering right around five to $600 on the starting tier. We'll run from six to $900 in rent for the starting tier, and it steps up from there. So Obviously, the more the rich, the more the cost of the membership. And is that a monthly or annual? We've got it set up so landlords can pay each month. Got it. So the minimum to have that insurance, 500 a month? That's the starting. Yeah, 528 is the lowest threshold got that we've it. got. And that's up to $900 in rent. So I mean, it covers the lower price band in most cities here in the south, southeast, midwest. Now that 528 is what I pay as a landlord for this insurance? That's a good question. The way we're set up is we are set up as a membership-based organization. So what that means is we are backed by an A-plus insurer that's actually owned by Lloyd's. So our membership organization is backed by insurance. So we have gone through the regulatory process in all 50 states. We're 100% financially backed and legally protected. So the way the membership organization works is you sign up as a member and part of your membership comes the benefits of rental income protection, comes eviction protection, the cost of the eviction and malicious damage protection. So those things are all part of the membership. So for that membership, you're buying per unit, you're looking at right at 528, depending on the price point. And that's on an annual basis. So look, there's landlords. Who've that's got annual, three. annual or monthly basis. That's the annual cost, and it can be broken down per month. Oh, that's what I was missing. So the five twenty eight is annual, not monthly. Yeah. Okay. Five twenty eight is. I misheard you. Now that makes sense. It's a lot clearer now. So five twenty eight is the minimum to get in, and that would cover you for. One rental property, does that depend on, I guess, how much the rent is of that rental property? Yeah, that's exactly right. So on that first tier at 528, your rent can come in anywhere from 600 all the way up to $900 in rent. And then, oh, okay. the, then it's the next step up from 901 to 1200 and it continues to step up from there. Got it. Okay, cool. So for 44 bucks a month, I am guaranteed income for... 12 months or for the lifetime of the lease 
how does that work? That's exactly it. The way it works is when one of your tenants defaults, we step in, we pay for the eviction, we do the eviction, and then rent starts up. So within 60 days, you get your first month's rent check, and that is for the previous two months, so from the time the tenant defaulted. So you're covered for all the way up to 11 months on the rental income protection. It's one or the other. So let's say it's the month of June right now. So let's say in June, the tenant defaults, and let's say it takes richer until the month of September to get them out. So you will have received your income for June, July, August, and September, Well, let's say September 15th rolls around, the tenant has been removed, you've been granted possession of the property. At that point, our system will pay you an additional 90 days worth of rents. That's October, November, December rent. So you get three additional months. That's 90 days. It's kind of a head start to say, go get it cleaned up, get it ready, re-rent it. And I don't know too many property managers in the U.S. that can't rent out their properties in 90 days. Small towns, bad neighborhoods, maybe. Right. But everywhere else, 90 days or less is pretty reasonable for getting it rent ready and back on the market and re-rented, obviously. So that's what happens during the rental income protection process. Now, if the tenant was to maliciously damage the property, you can go on and file another demand on our website as part of your membership saying, look, it wasn't just normal wear and tear. It was malicious. Fist holes in the wall. They beat up my property pretty good, and I'd like to file a malicious damage demand. At that point, we protect up to $10,000 in malicious damage caused by the tenant. How do you qualify a landlord and the tenant in order for them to be in this program? Because there's a lot of ways to scam this. Of course there is. Anything that has any sort of protection benefits like this, I think there's always going to be the people that are smarter and more conniving than we are. Yep. <laughs> and they're going to and they're going to figure out a way. And we've got some pretty good checks and balances in place. Look, what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to be the failing bottleneck for the landlords and the property managers. Meaning we did not want the landlords and property managers have to come to us and say, hey, I've got this tenant and we'd like to know what you think of her. Will you approve her? Now we put all the power and the control into the property managers and the landlord's hands as to how they want to do it. Our criteria is so simple. We are expecting the tenant to make two and a half times the gross rent. Most property managers, as you know, are screening for three times gross rent. We're looking for no evictions, no judgments in the last three years. We're looking for a simple rental agreement that's approved by the state or for wherever, obviously, they're at. And then we're looking for the fact that the tenant actually paid first month's rent when they moved in, and they weren't in default the second they arrived. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this is a pretty low barrier to entry. Credit score, I don't care what the credit score is. It makes no difference to us. Data supports that a tenant's credit score has nothing to do with their follow-through or their ability to pay rent. This may come as a shock to some of your best ever listeners, but the fact is that tenant's credit score has nothing to do with whether they're going to pay rent. You know what else it doesn't matter? Whether a tenant pays security deposit or not has no bearing on whether or not they're going to continue to pay the rent. Sounds crazy, but we wouldn't be in business if we didn't have the data to support that. So that's where we're at. How large units do you do? I imagine you don't get into apartment communities, but that might be an incorrect assumption. We do get into apartment communities. There's very, very minor variations with apartment communities. Actually, there's only one, and I'll tell you exactly what it is. With a single-family home, we will cover a maximum of $100,000 in lost rent. And as you know, we can do the math on that together. It's pretty unlikely for us to hit that. Possibly California, possibly New York, but to date, we've never hit that number. 
for apartment communities, one address, meaning it's a cap of $500,000 per domiciled address. So if you have 10 units in an apartment building, you would have to have a membership on each one of them, but we cap you at $500,000 in rental income protection. How long has the nationwide rent sure been around? We have been in North America for going on two years now. So we've had a Canadian operation just right on the other side of the border, right in Toronto, for over two years. And the U.S. operation has been in full effect for about a year now. So we've got a combination of multifamily owners, turnkey operators, do-it-yourself landlords. We've got property managers utilizing this. We don't know too many investors that are not in need of some sort of rental income protection. Most of your best ever listeners ranging from the private do-it-yourself landlords to property managers. The property managers are basically looking to reduce their workload and increase their income. That's what rental income protection does for them. They no longer have to go to court for the property manager and they get to stabilize the property management income that they no longer would have if the tenant had stopped paying. So now the income continues to come in, they continue to get their management fee and everybody keeps moving forward. The owner's happy. So even guys like you, Joe, are trying to get the highest return possible for your syndications. Obviously, you try to predict what that return is going to be. And the only thing that really throws that performa off would be maintenance and vacancy. Would you agree? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, we've always got some variables. Right, right. <laughs> we probably don't have time in this 30-minute yeah, yeah, podcast yeah. to go into all the variables, but we'll call right. those the two big ones. Mm-hmm. So um, this solves at least the eviction piece. Of course, we do cover abandonment as well. The protection is for abandonment. It has a few different uh, variations for abandonment, but it's all started the same way. We really do feel like this is a fit for everyone. We don't see anyone in the real estate sector. I've talked to one landlord so far, uh, do-it-yourself landlord, managed about 20 units. He said, I haven't had an eviction for, for 12 years. And I said, okay, well, you probably don't raise your rent. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't yeah, raise your rent and you probably don't need nationwide rent share because clearly you're better at this business than the rest of us are. Why Canada? You're not Canadian, are you? No, no. I'm an Oregonian by blood. Yeah. So it started in Canada. This product would originate in Toronto. They wanted to beta test it in Toronto just because it's a much smaller market than the U.S. The U.S. is a very complex market, which is why no one has come here up to this point. In the U.S., we refer to them as 50 different countries. <laughs> there are 50 states, 2,200 jurisdictions, all with different rules for court, different eviction Landlord-tenant law has a lot of similarities. For example, in Texas, if a judge does not like where your signature is on the eviction form, he can move your signature to the other side of the page and does not need to notify anybody of such change. So when you start thinking about having to file eviction in quantity, electronically, and over a large scale, such as we're doing, judges moving signatures really creates a problem. (laughs) So having to solve that has been the biggest reason why rental income protection has not been states up until now. So see it coming. What's been the biggest challenge that you've had growing the company? I hate to put this so bluntly, but I personally believe that the biggest challenge that we've had is the gotcha factor, the too good to be true factor. And I hear it on the phone. I heard it when I used to sell turnkey property. It sounds too good to be true. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? Do you not expect good things could happen to you? You sound like a good person. (laughs) Why can good things not happen to you? So look, it's not a too good to be true scenario. It's not a gotcha scenario. And I think because it's not familiar here in the U.S., that's the first obstacle to overcome. I will tell you the folks that are probably the most widely accepted it 
are the turnkey providers and multifamily folks because they already allocate money for this type of expense. In their performer, they're calling it vacancy or eviction. But a lot of do-it-yourself landlords and smaller investors that are using professional property management that own 10 or less properties, they're rarely making this allocation. Despite your good counsel on this podcast and despite the counsel of numerous other resources saying to allocate for these expenses, they're not. So it was a lot easier to convince the turnkey providers, the multifamily folks, because it made sense to them because they already had this number in the performa anyway. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice would be to protect your rental income. I've owned a lot of property in the last 20 years. And as you know, lost rent never gets found. Once you lose that rental income, it's gone. You're unlikely to ever recover it. You can't immediately raise a rent high enough to recover one month worth of rent, no less the average of five months worth of rent losses that it takes to get somebody out and get the unit re-rented. So it is just a distant prospect that you'll ever get that rent loss recovered unless you maybe sell the property at some near point down the road. So my best advice is to protect your rental income. You ready for the best ever lightning round? (laughs) Let's give it a shot. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with best-selling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book on negotiating real estate. I've read the book. Lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Sky, what's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read is a book called It's Not About the Money by Bob Proctor. Best ever deal you've done as an investor. Okay, this is not going to be a lightning response. That's fine. Okay, lightning. (laughs) Best ever deal I've done. Okay, I'll give you a very strange response on this one. And honestly, look, I've had hundreds of real estate deals that I've made a lot of money on over the years. Many of them were structured in a very cool and creative fashion that allowed me to earn that money. But honestly, the deal that I'm probably the most proud of, and this might sound really strange and probably not the response you're looking for, but in 2012, I had sold one of my companies. And in that transaction, I made some blaring mistakes. And Joe, within six months of that transaction, I went from 30 employees and a massive real estate portfolio to pretty much losing almost everything. I went into debt. (laughs) So you're saying, oh, wow, this is... Great, Sky. So where's the best part of this deal? Where, where, this is the best deal you've ever done? Here's the best deal I've ever done. Best deal. I found myself in this crazy place. Not a lot of money left, no income, not a lot of assets left. And I just picked up the phone and I started working out a plan with every single one of my lenders. And 
I made a choice. I had people encouraging me to give up, to file bankruptcy. Some of them were investors and clients. <laughs> Some of them were family and friends. But I made a choice not to give up, but to work harder, to rebuild, and to honor all of my debt. But I had to start by picking up the phone and working through it with every single person. And it was honestly some of the toughest negotiations I'd ever faced in my entire real estate career. And I got through it and I'm here. I have rebuilt, <laughs> started rebuilding the portfolio and we're doing work quite strong in three and a half short years. So that's been my best deal so far. On that note, what's a mistake on a transaction that you can pinpoint maybe specifically? Any mistakes made on transactions are always due diligence and your gut instinct. And one of them is verifiable and the other one is deep down. And you, you know, even when the, sometimes the due diligence makes sense, the gut instinct is telling you something different. So those are my two big checkpoints on every deal. I always do my homework. And can you give a specific example? Well, in that specific example, the numbers looked great. But my gut was telling me that party on the other side had other plans for that transaction. And so <laughs> they, were, they had already made plans to move around me on that particular deal. And they were quite successful in doing it. And of course, Joe, my wife warned me <laughs> that was going to happen. And she didn't trust him. <laughs> so, so, gosh, I hate it when she's right. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I support various Christian ministries and I support Special Olympics because of their courage. My brother has Down syndrome, so I've supported Special Olympics for almost 20 years now. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Let's see. Probably the easiest way, my website's simple. It has everything that I'm involved in, but skymikesell.com. Skymikesell.com. Cool. And then also nationwiderentsure.com would be another place. Nationwide Rentsure has everything about the rental income protection that you ever need to know. So I'm happy to talk on the phone or you can call direct. Sweet. Well, normally I don't spend a lot of time talking about someone's business. Just I want to make sure we're adding value and not like a promotional thing. But in your case, it was unique because it's a different business model. So it was important for us to dig in there and talk about it. And I'm grateful that we did. And I'm grateful that we talked through the cost implications from what it would cost as a member to participate as well as the benefits of participating, which seem really good. So Sky, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for talking through the business plan. Thanks for talking through lessons learned along the way. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Keep up the good work. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.